0: I asked the, the nurse myself and my brother was there um, where these protocols came from and he said from the CDC and I said and who gave them to the CDC and he said Dr. Fauci and I said to him do you trust your family members to Dr. Fauci's orders and he said no way and I said but but I, we're subject my family, my dad's subject to them and, I, and he's like look our hands are tight, there's nothing we can do and I did talk to um, somebody else and yes they said the same thing
1: Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today, my heart's really full after spending two and a half hours today with Janelle, learning her story. I learned of it recently, and she lost two parents on the same day, to medical facilities in Utah. Uh, Interestingly, one of them was the same hospital that my own mother-in-law was in for 10 days over Thanksgiving, and her story was playing out over Thanksgiving as well, only we just met today. And I think this is an important story to tell, and I told her it was going to take me a minute to tee this up and to explain to you that I have, the last week and a half, been heavily involved in a story For a gentleman in Texas who was admitted to the hospital a couple of weeks after he got COVID and he had kind of recovered, but, you know, he had a bunch of other health problems. He's a Vietnam veteran. And he went into the hospital and immediately found himself sort of captured and was in there alone and the family wasn't allowed in. And a week and a half in, they pulled me in to try to get some public attention on it, which we did. We did that. And I told the family, once we let this genie out of the bottle, there's no pulling it back. You're going to have thousands of people wanting updates. They're going to be calling the hospital. They might keep calling the hospital even after you don't want them calling the hospital anymore. And I just, you know, was sort of had a front row seat to this family's struggle. And it's it's what's exploded in the last week since I went live with that story is that I probably have 20 to 30 families writing me and someone wrote me about Janelle's story she's one of nine children her parents were Ron and Linda they died on December 7th of 2021 and there are some themes that all of these families are bringing me for instance doctors that you think of as having a say in the medical care of their patients saying in all of these cases our hands are tied healthcare practitioners telling the families We've tried, we've gone to the hospital. We've said, this isn't good medicine. We've said, why can't we use ivermectin? Why is it banned to use ivermectin? When has this ever happened before? Doctors don't usually talk to the patients, but the nurses sometimes do. And the nurses are like, thank you for telling your story and advocating for your patient because we can't. Uh, Patient advocates that are actually paid by the hospital, they work for the hospital, um, who get in the middle of things and. That this one in Texas came in my telegram group and threw rocks at me and and just wrote a super angry, ferocious text to me when all I was doing is repeating what I was told as updates after, after the genie came out of the bottle. So I want you all to meet uh, Janelle. Her dad said to her, I'm not going to get out of here, am I, when he went to the hospital. Now, The circumstances are kind of complex. Mom, the the parents are, I believe, 74 and 78. Is that right, Janelle? They were 76 and 78. 76 and 78. Mom has lots of health problems for a few years now. Dad's doing, dad's pretty healthy, and he's really worried about mom. So they're going to take mom to the hospital. Mom has tested positive, negative twice for COVID. There's a sister of Janelle's who is a nurse, tested her twice. The sister called um, the parent's physician and said, do they need to be hospitalized? And he said, no. Well, so that the parents end up going to the hospital. Dad gets up, dresses himself, gets himself to the car. He's like, night. we think about day nine of getting sick with some kind of flu, COVID, whatever you want to think it is um so they they the dad goes to the hospital basically because and i'm making a long story short so that we can get to the parts that i think are really important for everyone to know in case you have a family member and you have to help negotiate this similar situation because i'm hearing this from 20 or 30 people in a week now and they're saying the exact same things so um dad is admitted to the hospital ron is admitted to the hospital mostly because he's worried about linda and Linda has pre-existing major health conditions. But that, Ron, is very clear. He doesn't want remdesivir. He doesn't want a vent. He doesn't want machines breathing for him. He he didn't, neither parent got the vaccine. Mom is immediately asked in one of these healthcare facilities, did you get the vaccine? Not sure why that's relevant. She didn't even, she she tested negative for COVID. So that's, that's how we'll set this story up um let's just start by um janelle why don't you tell us about the breathing assistance? so your dad comes comes in he's still operating on his own steam you start to see some things that are very similar with your parents treatment they eject your mom from the hospital and say she doesn't need to be here send her to a different care facility so now they're across town from each other but you're seeing some similarities in the way mom and dad are being treated in two different facilities You to take it from there
0: Well, I spent most of my time with my father, but I noticed that they did some similar things with my mother. So I didn't, wasn't actually with my mother, but I heard that she'd done something, the same things with my mother. But um, the things that they were doing with my dad was they, first of all, they put him on really high flow oxygen, which I didn't feel like he needed. And then not only were they putting him on high flow oxygen, but they were putting another breathing mask on him and they strapped it around his head so that it, it would, first of all, it dried out his nose and his mouth too. And he didn't like it and kept pulling it off. And so um, from what I understand, I didn't feel like my mom needed to be on high flow oxygen either. And I didn't understand why the, the facility that they took her to, why they put her on high flow oxygen. Because her, her breathing didn't seem to be um, a problem. It was my dad's. I mean, she, and, and had his...
1: some, she had some issues with for the last couple of years and nobody knew why she was like choking. And so eating was a problem, but she wasn't having problems breathing. And then she ends up in this facility and really quickly she's on a uh, breathing apparatus as well. They both are right.
0: Correct. Correct. So with her, it is actually, she was choking when she would drink water. So what we have, we have kind of gathered our thoughts around is because right when she went in and the hospital started giving her IV, um, liquids, everything about her started to turn around. This is from what my siblings have told me that, um, when they started giving her IV fluids, that everything about her started to turn around. Now, I wasn't with her, but that's what they said. And so it was mostly that she had been scared for a long time to drink because she would have she would choke on what she was drinking, and my dad would sometimes have to give her a Heimlich maneuver. And so hers was a choking issue. I didn't I didn't feel like she had COVID symptoms at all, but for some reason the care center started treating her for COVID.
1: One of the themes that I'm hearing from these stories people are bringing to me is that they put them on the BiPAP machine. They've kind of backed off the uh, Andrew Cuomo, put everybody on a vent thing that was killing people en masse in New York hospitals. They backed off of that, but now they're putting people on a BiPAP machine with 60 liters and 70, I think one of your parents was on 70 liters of oxygen. And I have medical professionals telling me, and I'm not a respiratory therapist and I'm not a nurse or a doctor that I have them telling me that does permanent damage to the lungs and blows out the alveoli in the lungs. Did you not see both of your parents having some pretty terrifying responses to being put on with the face mask on their face and forcing oxygen into them?
0: Once again, I don't think my mom was put on the BiPAP, but I know that my dad was, and, and yes, I actually saw it. Um And I, and I, One point I felt like they even put it to 80 liters is what I remember. But there was one morning that I showed up and, uh, for some reason the hospital had changed the code and I don't know why they changed the code on us, but my brother was able to get in, but he came out and said that they had forced this on dad and that my dad was fighting them to not let him put it on him. And he said his arms and legs were frailing around, I don't know. And they were putting gloves on him and and keeping him from pulling it off, but he felt like it was suffocating him. And so, sorry. Um, my brother came out and he said, they told us that he's, he's dying on this machine. What do we want to do? And so it was me and my two brothers, and we were talking about it, and we decided, well, what would Dad have us do? and And we decided Dad did not want that on him. And Dad did not want to have a breeding machine. He made that very clear when he went in there. And so um, we went back in there, and um, we went in this little room for a minute, and my brother prepared me for what I would see. So we went in there to see my dad. And my dad was in the fetal position, and I had just talked to him the day before. He was in the di- fetal position, and he he wasn't coherent, and his face was swelling, and it was turning yellow, and I fell apart. And I said to my brother, I felt like that it was killing my dad. And so he walked me into this other room, and the, this doctor, this Dr. Graham, told us that he was dying and that we needed to call all of my family in because he was dying, and I says, "Well, I told my brother, I said I felt like that um, that mask was killing my father, and if we could take that off, because we'd also decide that outside, and so we went in and took the the mask off, and and the nurse, the doctor that was there was not very happy with us doing that, and she told me that his oxygen would drop to 34 and that he would pass away, but that's not exactly what happened."
1: Is that, is that Dr. Graham you're talking about? Yes. Who who came in with a bubble head because she's super scared of COVID. So she's probably piping in oxygen to herself or whatever. And I think she said a number of things that don't really sound to me like a doctor who took a Hippocratic oath, but more like a witch or a warlock, hexing you and telling you, I call the shots here, not you. And wasn't there a whole bunch of stuff around this doctor? Well, so yes, yeah, she was, when I got in there,
0: she was not very nice to me and did not want to talk to me. And I didn't have any interaction with her, but she did not like the, the, the idea that my brother was coming out and talking with us so that we could all make a joint decision. She, they, she wanted one person to talk to and for that person to make the decisions and not for the rest of us. So she was frustrated and irritated that I was there, with my brother and we were making a different decision than she wanted and then when we went into the room to take the mask off I asked them if they could please sit my dad up in the bed because they had him laying down and she turned to me and she said I make the the shots I make the orders here not you and then I went to um help adjust the bed and she she told me not to touch the medical equipment that that was if I touched anything that I could be escorted out of the hospital.
1: And three of you were kicked out of the hospital at varying points in the week that, of this ordeal. Is that right? Three of you
0: actually, actually, just two. I was not because I tried to not. Um, they 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 called security on me at one point, but I wasn't kicked out. But I they told me if I inter even interrupted them that they could kick me out. But yes, I had a brother and sister that was kicked out of the hospital.
1: And what one of them was, and if I can understand your family's dynamics uh, well enough here, seven of your siblings are likely to go along with the protocol. They haven't really been questioning it th- this whole last two years of, hey, what's going on here with the CDC and what's going on here with this virus? And they're more like likely to assume that whatever the hospital is going to do is in the best interest of your parents. And then there's you and your brother who actually has medical power of attorney. And you read me the letter that your brother wrote to sort of document what happened here. And just for any legal purposes, because, I mean, both of your parents died on the same day, went went into the, the system on the same day, died on the same day. And some of the quotes by your brother from this letter were so... Important that I think like just reading one to you and having you sort of flesh it out for us would be really helpful. And one of them is because your dad did not want remdesivir, and he was put on antipsychotics. He was put on um, psychotropics. He was put on Ativan and morphine, all kinds of things that he had been pretty clear with you guys he didn't want. But your brother said we asked them, being healthcare workers, we asked them several times to stop giving him drugs. And then he goes on to say, and the hospital staff wants to say that my dad agreed to it and we agreed to it. And that is not true. Do you feel like they gave your dad medications that you very specifically said, do not put him on and your mom?
0: So, um, I, I did not want him on rendezvous and I made that clear, but, um, they had, they had convinced my siblings that. Um, that he needed to be on Desivir and my dad. My dad very well did not want to be on the um, the ventilator, but he was a little unsure about the Desivir. He didn't understand it very well, and so he actually called me on Thursday. And they had I had found out by calling the hospital that they that they had convinced my sister to give them permission to put him on Desivir and my dad. And my dad didn't quite understand the remdesivir, but yes. So then we, um, I told my dad that remdesivir was one of the things that he didn't want to be on. And he was like, oh, and he he told him to stop it. But he, cause he was, he called me on Thursday and he was scared because he was getting worse and he wasn't getting better. And he actually wanted me to get him out of the hospital. So, um, then, so we, were, my brother had told him not to put him on medications. And the morning that I showed up and saw that he had the, the breathing mask, I think it was a BiPAP or something on him, they had just given him, I think, double doses of morphine and Ativan to sedate him more because he was fighting them on that. And I told them to get him off of all, all
1: that. Your, your so- brother, I believe, saw him... Literally kicking and fighting them with his arms and his legs, and they were pinning him down and putting gloves on him or something like that. Yes, that's what he said. That
0: his arms and legs were like he said, flailing or something, because he did not want it on. And yes, they were putting gloves on him so he could not take it off.
1: Same hospital, same week that this was happening for you. My mother-in-law came out of the hospital with her own bite marks in her arm. And Thank God she has no memory of it. I think her psyche kicked in to protect her from the physical trauma. But um, your, your dad was in that same hospital. The first thing I saw when I walked in that hospital room is that the bed looked like some kind of torture device. It was metal, all bolts and metal. And then there was a, a pad that I guess they think of as a mattress that was literally this thick, two inches thick. Your your dad and my mother-in-law was trying to get sideways, and the nurses kept laughing about it and thought it was hilarious that she was trying to get sideways, and we were like, that's because that bed is horrible, and she's been in it for 10 days, right? So your dad was very uncomfortable in the bed, too. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay, so your brother said we repeatedly asked them not to give him drugs that they then went on to give and gave themselves the excuse of, oh, well, he agreed to it. One of the things that these families are coming to me with, and also the attorney, Jeff Childers, here in Florida, who wrote a piece, and we'll link to it down below, that everyone should read. And this is an attorney who has represented families against these hospitals. And he says, Jeff Childers says that he has seen these hospitals spend tens of thousands of dollars to keep a patient. So imagine the family is trying to get the patient out and I know that you guys considered that of getting your dad out and released to hospice because you did not like the care he was getting. You were, you were threatened multiple times. Multiple of your family members were um, evicted from the hospital. You got locked out. You still don't, I think, understand why you showed up and your code didn't work anymore. But um, this is a very powerful statement that your brother Dallin made. My father was labeled a COVID death the day he was admitted to the hospital. The staff gave him treatment that assured this outcome. And then there's another one that's kind of similar, and maybe you could speak to this, that as I was listening, I wrote down, Dallin said they were giving him drugs that would create the conditions that they wanted to treat. It was a vicious cycle. Well, how do you want to flesh that out for everyone?
0: Well, my brother is probably better to ask that one for, but it just felt like that everything that they were doing um, just caused the very problem they're trying to fight. I mean, he has a cold or whatever, and they they kept trying to lay him down and sedate him. I felt like um, they weren't trying to figure out what was wrong with my dad that they would just sedate him with a bunch of medicine so that he didn't have to feel what he was going through. But when he felt what he was going through or tried to do anything about it, that's when they would just sedate him with more medicine. And it caused the problem that they're in there fighting instead of helping him get over the problem. Does that make sense?
1: It does. So I I felt like you were telling me that you almost saw two categories of employees, that there were nurses or doctors or other staff who really had empathy for you, even thanked you for advocating for your dad because they said they they can't, and even said one of the employees, and we won't mention this employee's name, even said, I've gone to the hospital and begged them to let us use ivermectin, and your brother asked this employee at the desk, "Would you want these protocols used on your loved one?" And he said, "No." And and he said, "Well, where did they come from?" And he said, "From Fauci and the CDC." So there are people inside the hospital who understand this and are as frustrated by this as we are. And then you said there was sort of like almost seemed like another category of employees, and the good employees would even warn you that the bad ones were coming on shift. And tell us how you felt this other category of employee was that wasn't so warm and wasn't empathetic and were kind of tyrants and worried about the equipment, not the patient, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So let me
0: say this too. I'm the one that my brother, one of my brothers was with me when we went to the nurse's station and I asked the the nurse myself and my brother was there um, where these protocols came from. And he said, from the CDC. And I said, and who gave him to the CDC? And he said, Dr. Fauci. And I said to him, do you trust your family members to Dr. Fauci's orders? And he said, no way. And I said, but but we're subject. My family, my dad's subject to them. And and he's like, look, our hands are tight. There's nothing we can do. And I did talk to um, somebody else. And yes, they said the same thing. And yes, there was. I even went to the house supervisor and talked to him because um, I, I felt like there was two different sets of people that you dealt with in there. I, I went in there one night to be with my dad and, um, I had talked to them and gotten previous permission that a family member could stay that stay with my dad through the night. And so we thought since one of us could be up there, we could spell each other off. So somebody didn't have to be there the whole time, but I was there at four o'clock and thought I'd be there for a few hours. And, um, I called my sister and was hoping that she would come in and spell me off. And, 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 and a nurse came and told me, they heard what I was saying to my sister. And they said, you can't leave. If you leave, then nobody can be here. You're the only one that's been approved to stay the night with your dad, which means I had to stay the whole night with my dad and I was in there four o'clock. And so, um, I spent that night with my dad And I tried to everything I could to alleviate his pains and figure out what my dad needed. And that whole night I spent with my dad, I I would put my hand on his head if it was cold. And I sang to him and I rubbed his back and I moved him if he was irritated. And he did not need all the drugs that they were giving him through the night before because I started figuring out that my dad needed other things. And, and the nurses that night were very kind and came in and helped me adjust my dad as I needed to and even helped me set him up. And yes, they said to me that they appreciated me being there because there were things that I could do for my dad that they couldn't do.
1: And so- You set um, him up, you gave him water. you yes. sang to You sang to him- you got the mask off his face and his color came back and his numbers came up and he was talking and coherent where he had been Correct. going downhill. So right? when
0: I went that there that night, yes, he was laying down and he was breathing kind of back and forth and he was doing awful. And I just started alleviating his pain, figuring out what he needed. And he needed some water that It was drying him out. Everything was drying him out. So I started swabbing his mouth. And yes, everything started to turn around. I started to sing to him to alleviate his pain. I started to rub his back. And all, like his um, heart rate was really high. And that came down. And his oxygen went up. And his blood pressure got good. And I was taking pictures through the night. And my siblings were amazed. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, I've just started figuring out what dad needed. And I said, and I started taking care of all these problems. And I sat him up and by morning, he was talking to my siblings and telling them that, and my brothers were saying, dad, we'll come get you and we'll get, take you and get some ice cream and you're doing well. And he was talking back and forth with them and knew who they were. And he even stood up at one point and said, I'm going to go get some ice cream. And I said, dad, not yet. You're not ready. And set him back down. But even that, that night when I well, it was probably early in the morning. I asked the nurses, I said, So, who am I going to get tomorrow? Are they going to be as nice as you? And they said, The one kind of hesitated a little bit. And he said, You know, uh, some of them are not as nice and and they're more strict and firm. And sure enough, it was like, for me, it was like the changing of the guards. That next nurse came in and he was like, What are you doing? And he was mad at me for what I was doing with my dad. Instead of saying anything like, Good job. He was mad. He wanted to lay my dad back down. And I said, but he's doing so good. Can we please leave him sitting the way he was? And he's like, no. And he lays it back down. And my dad started to struggle a little bit. And I says, can we at least put him up a little bit? And so he would put him up, but he got irritated with me and told me that I was a nuisance. But it that's the way it was. It was like one time you get these nurses that are grateful for what you're doing. And then the next minute, when the next change comes in, it was like, you didn't dare touch anything, interrupt them, touch the bed, or you could be kicked out. It was like a whole different experience from
1: changing of the nurses. I believe this nurse that we're talking about, his name is Alec. Yes. And uh, the Patient advocate, there's not a lot to say here. We don't want to go too far sideways on that. I just want to point out to people, because our reason to do this interview is so that everybody knows how to connect the dots on what's really going on inside these hospitals best we can, right? It's not like we have the mainstream media telling us. It's not like our doctor is going to tell us. They're all staying as silent as possible. They even the ones who disagree with it. We we have to figure this out ourselves. So what Janelle and I are trying to do is put some pieces together as she and her family pick up the the pieces here and, and, and even process what just happened two months ago. But what, what we're looking for here with patient advocate is I think everyone should consider that if you hire a frontline nurses advocate, that's someone you're hiring as if, you know, just like if you're going to get a divorce, you don't have the same attorney as your ex-husband, right? You could hire a frontline nurse patient advocate who's now your advocate coming from the outside and is totally committed to your best interests, your patient's best interest. When there's a patient advocate that's paid by the hospital, by definition, they're not advocating for your dad. They're advocating for the hospital. At the end of the day, it's not your dad writing the check to them twice a month. It's the hospital. And so you kind of had a mixed experience that, she was nice to you sometimes, but she also didn't really, am I wrong, seem to have your dad's best interests in mind?
0: Well, that's, that's something I ran into too. So let me say, I was with my dad from 4 o'clock the afternoon before to 1.30 the next day. But during that time, the next day, she came in and she introduced herself as the my dad's the patient's advocate. But then she went on to tell me how the hospital... Was frustrated with my family, and I I was rubbing my leg, my dad's legs to alleviate some pain. But I was I said, "In, in what way are you frustrated with us?" And she's like, "Well, you, because we have one person in here, and we only like to talk to one person. And when he makes a decision, then he he goes out and he talks to the rest of you, and you guys come back with a whole different decision." And I said, well, there's nine of us in our family. And, and I says, if you leave one person in here, their mind kind of gets worn out. And so he comes out to, for the rest of us to all have come with a unanimous decision on how what's best for our father. And I says, and can't you see that um, the decision that we've made for my father actually benefited him? Because uh, two days ago your guys' protocol was killing my dad. And the the doctor called in and said, he's dying. He's dying. Call everybody here. And so our siblings gathered and we decided to do something different. And look at my dad now. He was sitting up and he was, she even came in and said, Hey, Ron, how are you doing? And he said, he kind of nodded his head and he said, good. But I said, and then before he was out and down and on that, that breathing machine, and but she didn't come in and say, Janelle, whatever you're doing for your father, keep doing. You're doing an awesome job. It was more like she was advocating for the hospital and was frustrated that they had to change things that they were doing because we decided that a different care would be better. And she didn't like it.
1: Your description of you, you and your brother taking a look at this bipap machine, you know, so they backed off the ventilators because. The American public was screaming about these ventilators are killing people. You have to put people on sedatives and paralytics to be able to force a tube down into someone's lungs. So now they've backed down and we're on BiPAP, which at lower oxygen levels maybe isn't going to wreck your lungs, but at 50, 60, 70, you said even 80 liters, that's the highest I've even heard of anybody using 80 liters. Again, I'm not a respiratory therapist or a doctor, but uh, you and your brother described what that was actually doing to your dad. Will you describe what the BiPAP is doing and the impact it was having on your dad? Well,
0: what I saw was that um, my dad's face was swelling and it was turning yellow and when I when I saw him, and he was in the fetal position, and my brother said he had been fighting to get it off, and so I don't know what happened before that, but that's what I saw. When I came in, his whole coloring had changed, and his face was starting to swell, and it just looked awful, so when they pulled it off, too, I believe that, personally, that it did some damage to him, because after that, he was coughing up blood. Which would make
1: which would make sense if you just blown out some alveoli, the little tiny tiny airways and cells in the lungs. Now I, I can't diagnose him, but I am hearing this from other people too. This is a this is a very common theme: is they put him on the BIPAP whether he needs it or not. And a lot of times, they seem to be patients who are breathing fine, but then they get immobilized. They get you lay them back in the hospital bed. You put them on all kinds of meds. The more they're immobilized, I think you lose something like a couple percentages of muscle mass a day if you're ventilated or if you're just immobilized in a hospital. So we've got all these dynamics going on, and we could probably make a lot of inferences from that. but let's let's just talk about what you think that families need to know. i I as I heard your story, I was thinking, I need to have you tell this story and do an episode on these similarities that I'm seeing in all these stories. As I would go live on Facebook talking about this gentleman in a Texas hospital, we were trying to get his family in to see him. After a week and a half, we were successful at that. Um, When I came in and we had a thousand people call the hospital Um, lots of people mad about what we were doing too, right? Like I didn't tell people to call the ICU, but somehow the ICU's numbers being jammed up. That's not what we told people to do. That's the whole, let the genie out of the bottle and we can't really put it back in, but we got the family in there and we got this gentleman released to another facility. But at that time they changed his meds. They changed his meds right before they changed hospitals. And, uh, you know, they stalled and stalled and stalled. And every day you're losing you're losing your patient. Your patient is going downhill. So, I wanted to put this together so I could show this to my brothers. I have a sister and a brother who are the medical power of attorney for my parents. I know that my parents don't want to be on mechanical ventilation. I know that my parents don't want remdesivir. My mom is both bl- blind and deaf. She's super smart. She wrote a book about the Constitution that you have in your possession. Uh, but my parents are elderly and my mom has lots of health conditions like your mom does. And I know what they don't want. They didn't get the job. They'd they'd rather die than get the job. And they don't want all these medical interventions. They don't trust that system and they don't want it. And yet you went in there and you did all the right things. I know that you've been waking up every morning thinking, if I had that to do over again, I would do this and this and this. What would you want a family to know who's going to be up against their uh, maybe elderly family member being in the hospital?
0: Well, if it comes to the COVID thing, I mean, for me, if I was to go back and say what I could have done different, I would have advocated even harder not to even take my dad into the hospital. I truly believe he would have survived this had he just stayed home. Probably both my parents, my mom needed, um, some, uh, Liquid, like I said, intravenously to make her feel better, but she probably could have lived longer as well. So I would have advocated harder. Um, I don't know what you do if they get in the hospital because I tried when I was there to ask them to give him other things. And they called six different people on me. I mean, I had the security guard and everything there. And I asked them what I had done to warrant all these people there. And they said, that I was talking too loud. Well, I had a mask on and I wanted my dad to hear. So it felt like once you get in there, it's a difficult battle to get your loved one out. So really think twice or three times about ever going there and then be sure that you're all on board and you're all fighting, advocating, and don't leave them alone because it seemed like every time You're not there. Something happens. They're fine when you're there and they're even getting better. But the moment you leave them to the care of the hospital by themselves, something happens to your loved one and you can't take it back. And so, yes, I wake up every morning and I cry about it because I think there are things that I could have done better. But if I could even help one person out there hear the story that you know, you got to figure out what your loved one needs. And it's, that's what they need. It's not all the medicine that they're giving them. It's not the tons of oxygen. It's not the morphine. It's not all that. It's other things. And just really, really advocate for your loved one and don't leave them alone. That's what I would do. If you can, can do that. If the hospitals will allow that because it's hard, it's a battle once they're there.
1: Yeah. They seem to be maybe more concerned about the. Equipment that your dad is lying on or attached to than they are about his wishes, his best interests, his family's wishes. This is some of the things that I was going to do an episode with the uh, family member of this gentleman in the Texas hospital that I had written down. I thought I'd just run through it in case it's of service to anyone who may. You know, you may be listening to this and not realize that you're going to have to deal with this situation. And I would hope that none of you have to deal with the situation like Janelle and her family had to deal with, especially with this just unthinkable outcome for them. Um, But number one, when you go to the hospital, regardless of what you go to the hospital for, they're going to start chasing you with a swab. And so if you can say no to it, if you already know what your family member is there for, you know, there's this guy now who was in a car accident in near Flagstaff, Arizona, um, far away from home, and he ends up conked out in a one-car accident, ends up in a hospital on a vent, wakes up somehow, miraculously, even though he's on propofol and fentanyl and, and uh, um, morphine, and pulls out his vent and pulls out the IV and pulls out a catheter and walks out and confronts the healthcare staff who's like, oh my gosh, we're seeing a ghost, you know, because they thought he was on his way out, but he wasn't even hurt. Like he wasn't even seriously hurt. And uh he said, he was here, he was in a car accident, but they swabbed him and said, You have COVID, and they began to treat him exactly like a COVID patient. That makes no sense. So I would like to think that if you go to the hospital for something that's completely non-COVID related, you should be able to say, "No, I don't want that test," because I don't want you to then throw me on a vent and call me a COVID patient. Um, Number two, like Janelle already said, watch them around the clock. Okay. Also, be aware that you know, and you may have to educate the healthcare workers because Janelle's brother said to a nurse, "What this remdesivir that you're pushing on us so hard over and over again." do you even know what this is? Was it created for COVID? And she said, yes, it was. Well, that's not true. It wasn't created for COVID. It was, it's a failed Ebola drug that had catastrophic results in an Ebola study and then really crappy results that killed people of, of kidney failure with a small group of people with COVID. And that's it. And Fauci went live with it and it was now standard of care that every hospital in America had to do. So watch them around the clock you're only infectious with COVID for four or five days. You know, By the time um, Ron was in the hospital, he was like on day nine or 10 of having COVID. Mom, Linda, doesn't even have COVID according to their own test, if you even believe the test. Uh, some people, I, I would say no remdesivir for me in the hospital, or, or I know that my parents don't want remdesivir. And we know we don't want to vent. Well, now I think I would just rather not have a BiPAP either. I don't want to be sitting up. I don't want somebody helping me move. Um, Those advanced patient directives that we all think are supposed to protect us apparently give power to the medical professionals so that they can completely ignore patient rights. CMS, which is Medicaid and Medicare, have given hospitals apparently full liability waivers as long as they just do the protocol. And so, and Janelle told me she felt like there were people there in that hospital who their sole focus seemed to be just enforcing the protocol. Watch for medications being changed and tell them that you you get to be in charge of that and that they have to run any medication changes past you. I have a lot of these families telling me that their family member was given a very low dose of a steroid or something that could help with the inflammation, but they were given such a low dose of it. And again, it's the Fauci Fauci protocol. Um, Be aware that a dead COVID patient is worth an average of $366,000 in the United States. This is big business this is big money they drove these hospitals to the brink of bankruptcy in 2020 making them shut down most medical activities and just focus on covid they sat there completely empty for weeks and months some of them um ivermectin i personally think that where ron would have been served by ivermectin would have been the first week it looks like the evidence is that that's when it's you know it's there to like decrease viral replication in the second week you're more looking at inflammatory response. And so that's when, you know, steroids may have been used and maybe at too low of a dose to really be therapeutic. If you listen to, for instance, Dr. Richard Urso on that topic, and then be aware that these BiPAP machines, they may be a step down from ventilation, but they may blow out the alveoli in the lungs. I have a number of healthcare practitioners who are starting to be really concerned about this and come to me with these concerns. You may need to feed your patient. Janelle, I think you, uh, felt your dad wasn't being even getting water, right? Correct.
0: Yep. And you know what? I I echo everything you say. Get your patient up, laying them down, putting them out, all that stuff hurts them. I sat and watched my dad. It's getting them up and figuring out what they need and getting them to drink. And they tell you not to do that, but they just go downhill. I sat and watched it all and how he recovered as we I we got him up and got him more comfortable and got gave him the things that he needed that they don't do.
1: Well, what your family has been through is absolutely unthinkable, and it was super brave of you to come on here. I know that both of us are concerned that all of your family feels the love. Every single member of your family just wanted the best for your parents. Some of you may have seen it differently than others. You and Dallin already went into it knowing the dangers of remdesivir and that uh, remdesivir actually increases your chances of death versus nothing. Um, and so you already had an opinion about that. Your dad had a little bit of inkling about remdesivir, but he knew he didn't want to vent. And so you advocated for him the very best you can, but you had a, a big family and you were in a hospital that, you know, I was in that hospital the same week you were strangely enough. And, um, this is happening in hospitals all over the world. So the only Not that you're looking to me for balm um, for your bruised soul, but the two silver linings I see here are, first of all, thank you for your willingness to tell your story to others that it may serve, it may save lives. And secondly, I guess we can celebrate that your mom and dad got to go be with Jesus on the same day together. Any final words? Uh,
0: No, I just agree with what you said. You know, brimdevers is not good putting your pay- your family members not good but advocating for them and staying out of the hospital if you can and if this does help one person then it makes a difference because my my parents' d- death won't be in vain if it helps even one person so
1: that's all i have to say thanks my pleasure god bless you bye bye all right bye Hey everyone, it's just me again. And I wanted to do a quick wrap up on this story because when I learned of this story and then spent a few hours investigating it and then covered it all in one day, I have to admit it just turned me upside down and wrung me inside out. And I've been doing some thinking about it and there were a few things that I wanted to put a finer point on or bring up that Janelle and I didn't really cover that I think are important here. Right now, I have families bombarding me from all over the place, telling me that their loved one died in very similar circumstances, feeling completely neglected and even tortured are the words that are being used for how their loved one was was treated in the hospital. So first of all, I wanted to mention that the day that I recorded this interview with Janelle about her parents, Ron and Linda, uh, KUTV in Utah Ran a story on House Bill 32. I believe it was sponsored by Robert Spendlove. And it basically makes it a crime to interfere with or the headline ran attack healthcare workers. Well, of course, we would all agree that we shouldn't have patients or patients' families attacking healthcare workers. But there's actually really vague language in this bill that says things like touching the bed. So you just heard this story. Can you imagine if they're going to criminalize being able to sit your father up in his bed because he's lying flat and unable to breathe? And the family members notice that when he sits back up, he breathes again. So I just wanted to tell you that it looks like Utah is trying to create an even worse climate in the hospitals where the families aren't just ejected from the hospital if they ask too many questions or become, as they were called, a nuisance but also it could actually become illegal to make an adjustment to any of the the equipment that is supposed to be there to serve the patient. And that would be called an attack on the healthcare workers. So it's just making these healthcare workers uh, completely untouchable, unquestionable gods in the hospital, which just makes this situation even worse. I wanted to kind of put a finer point on this situation with the doctor who wore the, the space suit. And the bubble head is how the family described it to me. They said her name is Dr. Graham. I hope that she sees this. I hope that she watches this. I hope that those of you who hear this are also watching it on video so that you can see the tribute to Ron and Linda, who died on the same day, both victims of dehydration, starvation, torture. Uh, abuse of the family inside this medical system, uh, treatments that they specifically said that they didn't want. But this doctor and her, I would almost feel sorry for her because that's really um, wearing a space helmet for a virus that 99.97% of the world survives. In fact, with Omicron, everybody survives it. Um, Wearing a space helmet is really mentally disordered, if not a full-blown uh, mental health disorder so i would almost feel sorry for this medical doctor who is treating the family if she weren't so totally nasty and cruel to this family as if as if they're doing her some kind of favor bringing the business of their dad and mom to this hospital of course only the dad ended up um inpatient for a week but uh, I, I you know if Dr. Graham ever watches this. I'm not even a medical doctor, but it's really clear. It's not difficult to figure out that someone who gets COVID is on, can only transmit the disease for like four to five days max. And so by the time that these patients become hospitalized, they're always in their second week or beyond. And so having to wear a space helmet to pre- protect yourself from this virus that pretty much only the elderly and very ill die of is is verging on ludicrous. So another thing that I wanted to bring up and I realized that we failed to mention is that uh, in the case of Ron and Linda, they were trying to get their patient released. They didn't like the care that they were getting in the hospital. And so there is a provision that you can have your loved one released AMA or against medical advice And in each one of these cases that are being brought to me, some of which I have not covered, and I'm considering doing stories on these as well, in every single case, uh, as they're trying to get their family member released, they start changing up the meds, they take the BiPAP from like 70 liters of oxygen down to 10 liters when they're going to release them, which right there, you know, they've now blown out the alveoli and the lungs, and then they give the patient back totally bruised and bleeding to the family and and literally say to them, he's going to die in the car on the way home or he's going to die on you. So they they hex the patient. But even worse, they tell these families and I've heard this as a theme with every single one of these families. They say if you take him out of here uh and. You know, something happens to him, your insurance may not cover it. Now, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but apparently these healthcare workers are told this and they repeat it. And it's just yet another aspect to the bullying of these family members who are just fighting for decent medical care for their family. So at, there were a couple of points throughout the story that Janelle told me where. Uh, the family, especially Janelle and her brother Dallin, who also had really self-educated himself past the point that the bubble-headed doctor obviously did, who just buys in on the CNN story. Once you go past the uh, information silo that is the corporate media or mainstream media, where it's just all COVID fear all the time, if you dig into it a little bit and you learn a little bit about remdesivir, well, you have serious questions about it. And these These patients, Ron and Linda, did not want remdesivir, didn't want the vent, didn't want to be on 70 liters of oxygen on a BiPAP machine that they don't need. But once you put them on it and you blow out their lungs, now they need it. And in fact, they're dependent on it until they die. And so that's the situation that these families find themselves in when they go into this system not realizing what they're up against, what a machine that they are up against. And so there were multiple times when they would ask healthcare workers questions such as, uh, do, what do you know about remdesivir? Was it created for COVID? And and a nurse actually said to them, yes, it was. Well, it wasn't. That's the thing is remdesivir actually wasn't created for COVID. It had been created recently and it had been tried on Ebola and it was a horrible fail. And they had to take the Ebola patients off of it because over half of them died. So, so remdesivir literally was killing the Ebola patients. And the way they die is through kidney failure and multi-system organ failure. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Because we've lost hundreds of thousands of people in America to those exact causes of actual death. They put COVID on the death certificate, but these people are dying of kidney failure and multi-system organ failure. So it's not really that hard to connect the dots to why Ron did so well that night that I think will be an important story for Janelle and her children and her grandchildren. I hope her children listen to this story and teach it, teach this story that I think is going to be pivotal in their whole family's legacy, where she had been in the hospital all afternoon with her dad and she thought that one of her siblings was going to come spell her off. Well, the hospital tells her, nope, if you leave here, nobody's going to be here and your dad's going to be here all alone all night. So Janelle was faced with the choice of she's tired. She thought that she was going to go home to take care of her own family and that one of her siblings was coming and she isn't a night person. And she was so overwhelmed by that, but she decided to stay. And all night long, she ministered to her father and she sang to him and she sat him up in his bed and he hated, he was in the fetal position and he was yellow. And this, this BIPAP machine was just blowing really hard, blowing oxygen into his head All the cavities in his head were like freezing cold. She touched him and he was really cold. So he wanted the mask off. She took the mask off for him. His color came back. He wanted to sit up. He started talking. He was recognizing her. This is a man who's in the fetal position with his face all swollen and his face yellow. His his blood pressure came down. His oxygen saturation came up, even though he didn't have the mask on. Um, everything got better with a little love and attention and care. This is like basic, basic medical care. Janelle isn't even a healthcare worker and look at how her father was coming back and reviving. But then at some point she has to turn her back on them. And then, um, angry Alec, we will call him the nurse came in and just against the family's wishes laid Ron back flat on his back, which is where he had not done well before and they, the family went from, from bad to worse in trying to fight this. So I hope that um, this whole story is just seen as uh, a tribute to this couple who was taken from this earth too early. Ron and Linda seem like amazing people whose children were super devoted to them and they were super devoted to each other. And... Uh, My heart's just broken for this family and I just keep getting more stories like this. I now have a daughter bringing me the story of her father who also did not present with COVID but was thrown right onto the COVID Express before the family could blink and they were divided against each other and they were denied access to their loved one. And when a doctor... Uh, told the patient who's the exact same age as my dad and the exact same age as Ron, 78 years old, who had never, ever been treated with any drugs, had not even seen a doctor in 50 years, never would get a vaccine. And when he told her, I would rather have a 38 to the head than be put on a vent, the doctor yelled and yelled and yelled at him until the family actually requested that she be taken off his case. So this is the kind of care that passes for medical care in America and i'm not saying whatsoever that all healthcare workers are like this as we said in this in this whole saga there were healthcare workers who were really really glad that she was helping her dad and tending to him in the hospital and i'm sure that those healthcare workers if this law passes in utah wouldn't turn her in and get her criminally prosecuted for trying to make her father be comfortable since the healthcare workers won't. So there are obviously plenty of healthcare workers and they feel just as helpless and chewed up and spit out by this system as maybe the patients do. But we we do have sort of this contingent among healthcare workers who have been conditioned now, I think for decades, to just follow protocols and that they think that their job is just to execute on protocols. And I hope that if Any of these practitioners from Timpanogos Hospital in Orem, Utah, which is where I raised my children and where my own mother-in-law was in the hospital that same week, I hope if nothing else, as they hear this, that they will look a little deeper in their heart and ask themselves, what research have I done about remdesivir? Have I just accepted that Fauci and the CDC, that the government has totally taken over medicine and we don't get to actually practice medicine anymore and do what we think is right for the patient? I hope if nothing else, these healthcare practitioners will take a look at whether they're doing their own research and whether they're really advocating well for the patients they serve. I'll see you next time.